0: Yeah, this fact that we found ourselves, my recollection is we were in the gym.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. It's yes, we were. You know,
0: 400 degrees, but we're called in there to discuss the relationship of two teachers and why you will no longer see them ever again. Please don't talk to them or something. It was just sort of like bizarre. And I think back and like, why is that the way we treated people? I think deep down in my gut, I don't I don't think this is right. Whatever we're doing here just feels way too public and cruel. Yeah. Yeah. God.
1: is This is Caleb. Welcome to Life Unwasted, a podcast where we look into our past to discover our present.
2: Transitioning back from the mission field can be pretty complicated. Uh, This is a show where we interview missionary kids about their life experience. Kumin and I were both missionary kids in the Philippines, and we've been interviewing a lot of our friends that we grew up uh, with over there. And this season, we've been interviewing missionary kids from all around the world. And one of the things that really is a commonality between all of us is um, the complexity of transitioning from one phase of life to another, oftentimes with very little notice. Um, when I think of our guest tonight, I remember him um, at our class reunion. So Kevin and I uh, graduated together. At our class reunion, him saying, Um, Oh, yeah, at one point, I uh, supported myself playing online poker. Um, I folded uh, t shirts at the gap. I hitchhiked across the country. Um, Oh, and you know, I I work in technology now. And, and your your story, Kevin just stuck with me because you have um, walked down so many roads. And so I'm wondering if you could introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And um, you already said your class of 2001, we graduated together.
0: Um, I'm so really stoked to be here. So thank you both for having me. Um, Yeah, I graduated in 2001. Uh, I was actually born in the Philippines on the island of Leyte. My dad was a doctor, a pediatrician, Uh, went to the Philippines as a missionary, Uh, went to a, a rural hospital and that's where I was born, the second white baby born at that hospital. Uh, My older brother beat me. Uh, And then we moved to Manila uh, when I was young. Um, And then, yeah, went to Faith Academy, you know, pretty much my entire childhood, except for furloughs. Uh, Some of your audience may know my older brother, who graduated in 2000. Uh, My sister graduated uh 2003 and then my littlest brother graduated in 2005 um and then i came back to america yeah mm. i didn't
2: i honestly you know we graduated together um and i do remember your older brother um but i did not know that you had that many siblings
0: we were all relatively close in age i guess 2 years apart uh so we graduated relatively close together so um that was fun i think it's more fun in retrospect at the time. I think maybe like a lot of siblings, we fought and were, you know, going through a lot. Uh, but that was kind of cool that we all got basically the same experience. I think we hit different grades, you know, based on furloughs. So we experienced sort of different aspects of Faith Academy. But, you know, we all went through that experience together. And that's been uh, nice as adults getting to, you know, talk and reminisce about those times. Yeah. Tell us about
2: life back then, because you were born in the Philippines, you know, 80, in the 80s, early 80s. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: what was that experience like? What was life back then? Um, tell us a little bit about that part of your experience.
0: So we moved to Manila when I was really little. I want to say maybe two or three or something like that. So I don't remember uh, The provinces, I think is what we called them at the time. I don't remember that super well. Um, Most of my memories are all in the Philippines. We lived kind of all over. We lived close to faith at one point. Um, In high school, we lived in Mandaluyong, which I was surprised to learn. I looked this up. I was surprised to learn it's only about eight miles from faith. And at the time, it felt like an absolute world away. Um, It took hours to get home every day from school. Stuff like that. I mean, I was one of those commuters. I um, was talking about this with my wife, actually. She was asking about, you know, sort of that split between dormies and commuters. I don't think we called them commuters. I don't know what we called people like me. But, uh, yeah, I never got the dorm experience. So every day we would get on a bus and drive to Faith. And I, I think traffic is like an overriding... I don't know, memory of my time in the Philippines, which is kind of sad, but.
2: Yeah, it, traffic was really bad. What? Why it does that stick was. out? Like, sit, yeah, yeah. Why does, why does that just sitting in a uh, a little diesel vehicle with the AC working every once in a while, or like, why does that stick we out to spend you? We just spent
0: so much time. It was insane. Like how much time you just spent sitting, waiting and plotting. Like if you wanted to see a friend it was like a military operation, like, all right, when are we gonna leave? Like, how are we gonna time this? All right, who's got access to a car? And if you're not taking a car, right, you're, you're getting on jeepneys, um, maybe taxis, you know, whatever you were doing. It was just sort of this thing that you had to constantly navigate in a way I haven't really experienced elsewhere. Maybe if I lived in New York City or LA or something like that, um, I live near Boston, and so we have terrible traffic here, but it just doesn't quite compare to sitting in Manila traffic uh, with the fumes and, yeah, maybe AC struggling to get you there, but. Mm -hmm. It was funny. I was oppressive heat. I I was thinking a
2: lot about this on my drive home today, actually, Um, uh, because for some reason, my GPS switched off and I just had to restart my phone. Um, and I was thinking about my kids and them, they're not going to have the land nav skills (laughs) that, that our generation has, but also when you're, you know, when you grow up overseas navigating, like you said, it was like a military, it takes military operation operational planning and like, you know, you have to have a safety plan, a communication plan, and it can get really complicated, but we didn't even think about it back then. And, you know, how young were you when you had to start doing that?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Probably pretty young. I don't know um, when we were given some freedom to go around. I think your other guests have commented on this as well. The extent to which we were allowed to free roam around both like on a neighborhood level, just getting on our bikes and being gone all day. But then later on when we grew up, um, if we wanted to get together with friends and go to the mall or whatever, I don't know how safe it was, but you know, we kind of just did it, did it. And I couldn't even begin to tell you how we navigated. Maybe in high school, we had MapQuest or something. Um, I don't know. You just sort of knew like which jeep needs to catch and like where to i don't know it's a little wild to me in retrospect i'm just too yeah. addicted to google maps you now
2: you just have to know what road you're on too because those street yeah. signs were not always there um so think about thinking about that now so like think about that experience how did that impact the rest of your life like that that journey back to us and then the person that you are now you know having that experience at that age and having to figure those things out, like, like pull that into the
0: present. I think I felt when I moved to the U S at 18, like many of us, um, I felt like I had experienced a lot more than the people I met at college and sort of navigating a big city. That's a really trivial example. Uh, But it it was not that common among the people I went to school with. Um, Just sort of living in a massive metro uh, city like that. Most people I met had never experienced anything like that. Um, And then you have the bigger things sort of. I was thinking about this. I think uh, Rachel might have talked about sort of experiencing earthquakes and uh, volcanic eruptions. We did outdoor ed. We swam in a volcanic lake. Uh, By the time I graduated, we had two revolutions or coup d'etats which I was a part of both of them Um, it just was like some of this stuff is wild and I came back to Ohio yeah (laughs) not known for being like the most I don't know I shouldn't badmouth it but you know sort of I go to this small school in Ohio and I'm just like what on earth am I doing like where did I come from and where am I now this is wild it was hard to make sense of.
2: You went to Cedarville, right?
0: I went to Cedarville, yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Which
0: is super funny in retrospect because it is, at the time, I mean, we literally got an award for being the most Republican college. Uh, George Bush drove through town uh, to thank us. That was the thank you. (laughs) Uh, and we we got the distinct privilege of waving at him while the secret service pointed guns at us (laughs) um and it was like you know just very fundamentalist i mean it is even worse today arguably very very conservative school i actually turned down another school because i thought they were too conservative and then i remember the summer before cedarville um I was, my parents, I think, were in the Philippines. So I was at some family, friends, some church family's house living for the summer, working. And they sent me the student handbook. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, like, what have I walked into? This is wild. These people are lunatics. And this is coming from faith, which was not exactly, you know, it wasn't really a liberal bastion or anything. You know, like, that's a pretty, (laughs) like conservative high school or or school so yeah it was very eye-opening for me i don't totally know why i did the things i did back then but
1: you stuck through you finished city over
0: i did so fun fact about me it took me eight years but i stuck it out wow
1: (laughs) eight years to finish undergrad
0: yeah thank you cuban um (laughs) (laughs) so in in my defense i did i wasn't enrolled the whole time um I was in and out, I got kicked out, I dropped out, um, it was not a good fit for me, so it took me a long time to wrap it up and I almost quit, I mean, I mean, I did quit, but I, I almost permanently quit many times. And for a long time I was within, you know, a few credits, you know, I did, I was on track to finish in three years, funnily enough, so I had a huge, you know, I completed a lot quickly And then it was the last, you know, X percent that I struggled with because I was not doing well with life and not doing well with the school and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it took me a while. Um, I actually graduated the same year as my little brother, um, which turned out to be, you know, a hidden blessing. A little, you know, humiliating to graduate with your younger brother, but... um, we're really close and we lived together part of his senior year. I guess that was my senior year too. So, you know, there, there are, there are pros to things like that.
1: What clicked for you to finish Mm -hmm. in the eighth year?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Even as you say it, I can't believe it. Um, Honestly, it was just, you you poke at something long enough, eventually you can kind of get there. So I just stuck with it. And I think by the end, I was taking maybe only one class a semester or maybe two classes. And honestly, what really did it was uh, a couple professors who went out of their way to, to just see that I was all right and help me see things through. And without people like that going out of their way to to help and do what's necessary, with someone struggling you know i would not have made it for sure
1: mm.
2: yeah that that like junior soft end of sophomore year junior year just like mental health exhaustion and implosion this is pretty common and we've talked to several mks i think of you know aaron in in season two where um just needed to bounce around a little bit and yeah. um you know for me I was absolutely having uh, a mental health crisis in college, and um, I did what all smart MKs do, and I just got married my senior year. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> uh. or between between my junior and senior year, of course. You know, that's just how it works. And I'm one of the lucky ones who, you know, my marriage has lasted, um, uh, you know, from 2004 until now. And uh, but that's that's not the case for many. But it was very much related to. Um, you know, just needing to have a complete life change or something. I just remember the exhaustion of the, the
0: trauma of it, you know? So I think coming out of, so we did furlough 10th grade. Um, so I was back for junior, senior, which is pretty nice timing. You know, I feel lucky, uh, at faith, um, but yeah, the the there was a lot of thing that things that kind of converged. So I think those final years, there's certainly a lot of stress, I think, on any junior, senior in high school. Um, and then we had the absolute shock of coming to America, which I don't think I processed or understood for a very long time. I thought I was doing all right. Um, I had mm-hmm. had a job in 10th grade. And then I got a job right when I got back to the U.S. that summer. And those really proved to me like, all right, you're not a freak of nature. Like you can live in America. Um, And I'm not going to say I was like the most popular guy at work, but like they sort of accepted me and they didn't seem to find me that bizarre. So I sort of felt like, okay, you know how to be an American. You've done this. Um, I worked fast food and then I worked at a factory. You know, I kind of got these these cool life experiences. But then I don't think I really processed, uh, I think what you guys have previously described as as grieving. And I I agree with you. That's probably what we were doing. We left. Not only did I leave my friends behind, I left everything I'd ever known, the only country I'd really known. So yes, I'd had these American experiences, but I was not really American. Um, I was still terrified of Americans. I would walk into McDonald's Mm. and just be like, What the, like, (laughs) who? like, I just don't know how to relate to these people. Like, I don't know, I don't understand them. They're so loud. Uh, (laughs) Then I went to, so I went to Cedarville, um, and and you guys have talked about this a few times. I think it was that fall that uh, Steve died back in the Philippines. Um, I didn't know him very well, but my younger brother did. And it just felt like a death in the family, even if you weren't that close, necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, Freshman year was rocky for lots of reasons. Spring, Lisa died, which just. uh, What's the word for it? It was hard, man. Um, Very hard. And so things started to compound. That summer, I worked in the U.S. I didn't see my family. By sophomore, you know, end of sophomore year, man, I was just falling apart. So, um, I don't know. Weird times. I think we all handled weird times, the faith in yeah. uh, different ways. I think I definitely feel like one of those people that thought he was doing all right for a long time. Not even a long time. I made it what a year and a half too. Uh, And then things just came crumbling down. Just to give everyone. Yeah. Two
1: decades have passed. Yeah. I mean, just um, uh, go ahead. I think Caleb, you.
2: Well, I just wanted to clarify. You mentioned two individuals that passed away and I wanted to um, um, just give a little bit of background on those two. So we graduated in 2001 and um, someone who would have been who uh, one of an underclassmen was was a junior our senior year um uh passed away on the basketball court uh back at faith academy um and so we of course and he was uh, actually dating someone or you know did date someone from our class and it's a small school (laughs) it's a very small school so that was that was an unbelievable loss and a shock um and then Our freshman year of college um our good friend lisa who graduated from us who is actually on the cover of our yearbook
1: sorry yeah she she died due to cancer so we interviewed her sister
2: in season two uh or season Mm -hmm. one of christy Christy. um uh, that that episode if you want some background on that on that but that so those two losses um our freshman year were tough
1: mm. very and, tough and
0: she I, I mean you probably remember this um but your listeners might might not she went to cedarville so we started cedarville at the same time and it, oh. we actually we got closer at cedarville than faith um yeah sort of coincidentally not coincidentally i don't know where i ironically maybe we rode the bus home um, every day with her and her brothers. Um, So I, and and in the Philippines, in the Philippines. oh, And then we both went to Cedarville and just sort of like through happenstance, we fell in with the same people. Um, And so I feel like I, I actually spent more time with her, more quality time with her in the U S even though I'd gone to school with her for probably 12 years at that point um it was a a real turning point
2: yeah i mean you had this unbelievable connection and here you are on the other side of the world going to the same school and you knew each other i mean that was the person you probably knew the longest in your life
0: correct correct um and i was actually you know just thinking about this um you know, knew I was coming on tonight. So I was talking about some of this stuff with my wife and I was sharing that we actually have a friend that Lisa and I made that freshman year who now teaches at faith because of us. And so wow. he had never heard of faith or heard that this was sort of an option in life that you could mm-hmm. become a missionary teacher. Yeah. Um, and he's now been, and I think he's now maybe taught there longer than I attended there. Um Wow. And yeah, okay. it's sort of interesting how these connections kind of go. And so you know, I I listened to your to your interview with Christy, and I mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I feel I feel stupid sometimes because my pain can't compare to the family's pain. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes I've felt, you know, why do you why do you still think about this twenty years after the fact? Mm -hmm. 20, 21 years after the fact, but it is what it is. I can't control that at the time, you know, even to this day, it had a big impact on my life. Um, Not the first person I knew that had died, but nevertheless, sort of hit in a different way. And it sort of compounded my feeling. I think that the dark, what I felt as darkness from faith Academy had kind of followed to the U S which is very sort of like mystical way of viewing it that I don't actually believe but faith just felt like a very heavy place um uh, just fucked oh. up in a lot of ways and it just sort of Can we discuss light. that further? Yeah, yeah. Well, Jeez.
2: that's a felt experience, you know, that's a an unraveling of information our, yeah, our minds know. and our our bodies like but like uh, let's 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 un- unravel that like you had this felt experience. Like when you brought the image of Faith Academy up in your head, it felt heavy and you felt like that heaviness came with you. And, and that's how our, our minds and our bodies process information. So like, like, th- what was that felt experience like?
0: You know, I think a lot of people probably feel this way in a sense that you look back and when I'm with my family and we're at Thanksgiving and we're joking about faith Academy, you know, there's a lot of good times. There's a lot of, same, uh, you know, there's a lot of chokes and laughter. And like, I have a lot of fond memories of, uh, you know, even spending 10 pesos on a Pepsi and feeling like King of the world. And, uh, you know, getting, I think curry on rice was maybe like,
1: Mm.
0: right. Like, so I have these good memories, but at the same time, my overall takeaway is, is much darker and I think there's something about that place, or at least when I was there, that was really not right. Um, I I think about the number of classmates who who experienced some level of trauma, uh, physical assault, sexual assault, uh, just divorces and family trauma just felt like a much higher rate of, I don't know what the word is. Um, Just felt like there was a lot going on there. And even stuff that was so-called maybe less, less abnormal in other contexts. I'll give you an example. So something like divorce. Divorce is not easy, very painful for everybody involved. But in the U.S., in my community right now here in the U.S., if you get divorced, um, it felt like the impacts are not as wide. In the Philippines, it probably means you're getting kicked out of your mission, at least the kind of missions that I, you know, remember. You're probably Mm -hmm. getting kicked out of your mission. You're probably getting kicked off the mission field. And your career might be literally over. And those kids that we knew, it's not that we see you less because you move schools or something like that. We just never see you again. You're just gone. Yeah. um and so again, that's not to discount divorce and the pain it can cause in the u s, but it was it had the potential to be more disruptive when the personal and the professional, your missionary lives were so intertwined in a very, very um, very tightly. I don't know. I, I, I'm rambling, but you're, you're bringing up a memory a for sense.
2: me. No, there's, there's a memory I have, and it was of uh, a dorm church Sunday. Okay. And um, there were two brothers who were in the dorm together. And it was one of those Sundays where uh, altar call, you know, come up and
0: yeah.
2: give your testimony and all that kind of stuff. And, and one of the brothers went up there and they just come back from break and it was a very stressful break. And their parents were fighting the whole time. And uh, but right before and, and so he's telling the story. He said, right before we left, my parents sat us down and told us, Don't worry, we're never gonna get divorced. And both the brothers were like crying, they're like, Thank God. And I understood in that moment what that what that meant, you know, a lot of you know, being on the mission field is very stressful, it's very hard. It's very hard on a marriage, and uh, you might be very isolated and cut off. And so when things aren't going well and divorce isn't really an option because it would destroy the family. I mean, the, the income, social relationships um, you have to pick up and leave a country to go back to the U S all of the unknowns, you know, it is such a um, uh, atomic option that a lot of uh, parents stay together. And that is an additional stressor on the family because the marriage isn't working well. And kids know. And so like, I think a lot of us, I mean, and that's normal in a marriage. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be those kinds of things, but um, there were also definitely situations where um, that was a, that was an additional trauma. And I don't think, and it's interesting. This issue has never come up, Kevin, um, but I'm glad that we're talking about it because I remember sitting in the audience on that dorm church Sunday feeling the terror that they were feeling mm-hmm. and being embarrassed because i you know i had had those same feelings about my parents at times you know they were at, at odds with each other and i had the same fear that they did oh my god what if my parents get divorced yeah. i have to move back to the us and you know i don't know
0: i'll give you another a couple other examples one in particular i want to talk about but another one that comes to mind is remembering a a fellow missionary who cheated on his wife with a filipina and the way you know just the pain and heartache that caused the church the church that my father started so he gave up medicine and did so-called church planning uh, in manila Uh, so he started a church and that's the one we went to you know the rest of my time but i remember you know not condoning adultery or the seriousness of cheating or anything like that but just remembering like why is this any of my business and why is this now the entire church's business like it was this truly we got to excommunicate this loser and shun him from our community really drastic like everything had to be you use the word atomic right and it felt like everything was atomic like any slip up any sort of trespass of any kind some of them serious, some maybe not as serious, um, had to be treated to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. I think the other one that comes to mind, I'd be curious if you guys remember this, I think in middle school, possibly our ninth grade year, uh, two women, two teachers were accused Mm -hmm. of being in a lesbian relationship with each other. And I think about them a lot uh, for a lot of reasons. One is... I don't even know if they actually were. They may not have been. Um, there was all sorts of speculation, like I, I don't know. Anyways, that, you know, this, they're just friends. This, so and whatnot. Uh, so I, I, there's a lot of
2: details to that story, um, and I, I can't say <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to go into. Yeah, um, I don't want to go into. You into know, it. Look, I don't want to talk about because, but but like that story, I have to tell you has come up a lot. Off air, everybody talks about it. Everyone in our class and uh, several years ahead of us, we all remember when we got hauled
0: in. So to, this is what I want to talk about. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. even know the details of it. So that's what I'm saying. I, I don't know. Yep. We don't need it. Went down. But yeah, this fact that we found ourselves, my recollection is we were in the gym.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. It's yes, we were. You know,
0: 400 degrees. Uh mm-hmm. we're, we're all cooking, but we're called in there to discuss the relationship of two teachers and why you will no longer see them ever again. And, Mm -hmm. you know, please don't talk to them or something. It was just sort of like bizarre. And I think back and like, why is that the way we treated people? Nuclear. Yeah. And, and sort of knowing at the time, if you interviewed me at the time, I wouldn't have said this, but I think deep down in my gut knowing, I don't, I don't think this is right. Whatever we're doing here. Uh, Just feels way too public and, uh, you know, cruel to some extent, regardless Mm -hmm. of the facts of the so-called case or situation. It
2: was none of our business as students. (laughs) None of my
0: business again. I (laughs) was what maybe fourteen or something, fifteen,
2: something like like that. Yeah, really, none of our business. You know, this is a a school personnel issue, Mm -hmm. and like, let like. We're not going to get into the details of it, but that, that's where it should have ended. It should have landed in HR, <laughs> you know? So but it was tie all like, of these like, things
0: together. Listen, like somebody yeah. has committed a sin. We need mm-hmm. to call out that sin. And then privately, all of us, our students are going, shit, I think I commit sins kind of a lot. Like, right. am <laughs> I going to get hauled right. in front of like a governing body yeah. to, to atone for what I've done? Like god just a little little scary you know when
2: we interviewed adam from last season he was like you know he assumed oh my god they are they going to call me up on stage um <laughs> and i think a lot of us felt there is that so tie all of these i asked you about your felt experience and what it felt like you you gave a couple of examples of of situations kind of going nuclear um and uh uh really harm or, or harm uh, coming to to kids, either physical or sexual assault or whatever that is Uh, being unprotected. uh, What's the through line here? What, how does connect that all back to your felt experience?
0: So I was, I was a pretty sensitive kid. Um, I don't know if that's how people perceived me, but I felt this stuff. I felt it in my bones. Hmm. Uh, I remember kids making fun of others in elementary and it really it really rattled me and i would go home and tell my parents um you know i just hated it i hated seeing that sort of pain for others and so the this the negative experiences i had in the philippines in many ways were relatively unremarkable in the sense that um if you were external looking in, you wouldn't say, Hey, a lot, you know, a lot happened to that kid. You wouldn't say that. Like these major things never happened to me. I wasn't hauled in front of the school, but I sort of felt them. And it it, it Mm -hmm. amplified that feeling that you are not allowed to make a mistake. If you make a mistake, you could get kicked out of your church, kicked out of your school, possibly kicked out of the country. And not even by the country itself, Philippines doesn't care, but we as a community are going to, punish you and don't you dare fuck up um you you're gonna bring dishonor upon your family and the church especially a church that your father started um i think for a while my my mom worked at faith academy so it was that sort of level of like okay well like don't bring shame on the family like we're employed by this place too Mm um yeah, my just freshman with- year.
2: My freshman year, there was um, one of my dorm mates. It um, was like at the end of first semester or something like that, and uh, he, he broke one of the dorm rules. And uh, to me, for me today, if one of my kids did did what this guy did, uh, it would be a conversation. Hey, bud, let's talk this through. Mm-hmm. Um, he went on break, and we never saw him again. I have no idea what happened to him. I mean, that was uh, in 1997. Uh, Dude, I don't know where he is today. People just
0: disappeared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't have any other word for it. People just disappeared at the yeah. Academy. Um, oh, and my. I'm sure many of them was like completely innocuous things. Like sometimes people just literally ran out of money and went had, had to go back to their yeah. home country. But it sort yeah. of felt like, you know, there was that level of instability. I mean, never mind the whole issue of furlough, but like, even on a more permanent basis. Um, I think I think I I felt, and I, I've heard this from other guests, you know, I constantly felt like I was a, a quote unquote naughty kid, like a mm-hmm. a bad student, a bad kid. In I don't know your guys' impression. I think most people would have said, That dude is a goody two-shoes, like straight straight as can be. Like I did not touch drugs, alcohol, certainly did not dance, which would have been the worst of it all. Um, I did not, (laughs) you know, sneak out. I didn't, you know, completely, completely on the straight and narrow. Um, Have you
1: done all those after?
0: No comment, Kim. No comment. (laughs)
1: Oh, okay.
2: Yeah. We weed <laughs> is legal in Boston now, everybody. So oh, we're not going to get <laughs> <laughs> it. Is, yeah. So no, um calm. but so thinking about that now as as the grown-up person that you are, um what does that experience mean to you now? Or how how do you look at this now from your
1: and um, before going oh, go there, ahead. I, I yeah, want yeah. to ask Kevin about his relationship. Um, about your relationship with your wife and talking about this podcast. Oh, you mentioned yeah. a couple of times that mm-hmm. you asked, your wife asked you what's the difference between a dormy and a commuter mm-hmm. and you told her about coming on the show. How, how does the conversation go? Well, First of all, is your wife also a TCK, a third culture kid or is she uh, American through?
0: So I think I can answer both of your questions simultaneously, okay. um, which is that I I completely segment off my experience of faith in some ways, which I think is arguably not healthy, but that's life. So I don't think of myself as a TCK or as an MK. Um, I've siloed it off, and it's, it's not great, and maybe we can talk about that. But uh, no, my wife is not a TCK, MK, PK, anything like that. Um, she, uh, grew up in the same house. I mean, she's, her parents still live. We still visit. I'm going to Easter and, you know, a few days here to the house that she grew up in, uh, went all her life to the same school or school, you know, uh, district. She has friends that she's known for, you know, almost her entire life that were at our wedding, um, It's it's a very different sort of upbringing. Um, And that's one of the things I like, right? You know, she had a totally different experience. uh, Born and raised in America. Um, We have some commonalities. A little bit, you know, obviously there's some overlap on on life experiences there, but she came at things from a very different perspective. And she had a degree of stability that I never had. Um, And I'm not she might listen later and contradict me. I'm not sure she ever really met missionary kids or at least knew a lot of them. So all of that is totally foreign. Um, so it's been fun sort of talking it through and it's been fun. She's listened to some episodes and she's sort of like, Oh, wow. Like I've heard you say that or, you know, just sort of comparing what some of your other guests are saying to things she's heard me say over the years. I think that's part of the fun of your great podcast. Mm-hmm.
1: Is it sort of like an out of body experience for you Kevin then when you talk about those 20 years you spent at Faith? You said you siloed it off. So are you Yeah, like a, l- a little
0: bit. Like 3rd person point of view? Yeah, I I can't really relate to the person I was um back then. And I I to some extent have a trouble relating to the person I was at Cedarville. My life just has these distinct chapters and I'm pretty happy with the person I am now to some extent and not super happy with who I was. Certainly at faith, uh, to some extent, I became who I wanted to be in college over the course of, again, almost a decade. Uh, But that was through a process of total reinvention and some of it forced and just being broken down and reaching ground, you know, rock bottom and starting over and that sort of stuff. So in some ways You know, this being invited on here has made me, and the reunion, which you guys have talked about, our class reunion, uh, Caleb, Mm -hmm. has made me think about those years in a way I haven't really for a long time and try to think, you know, how do you make peace? How do you reconcile who you were then with who you are now? There's very clearly, you know, influences and things that stay the same, but to some extent, I don't know, it does feel, just totally a world away.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, it makes sense for me now. You know, when you said it's like a line in the sand, it's two different lives, it's a, you know, bifurcated soul or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um in that 8-year period of college like like uh, that those early years in college were un- clearly unbelievably traumatic. Like yeah. that is and and your reaction to that was really a proper one you you went into self-protection mode and tried to figure out how to take care of yourself as a person because you were going through a lot and it makes sense that you know i don't know if that's the moment that things split or what but you kind of had to wall it is off. yeah
0: yeah that was a true fracturing right oh um, yeah that was the del- dividing line it was the start of me questioning what kind of christian i wanted to be Mm. and i eventually pursued some pretty heterodox kinds of being a christian and i experimented with all sorts of fun theology and philosophy uh eventually gave it up and left entirely when it just didn't seem to work for me anymore but that was really the start of it and i i had a choice between do you embrace your lived experience which at that time was major depression? Or do you reject that experience and embrace the faith and the God and theology you've been taught? And I had a choice. I had a hard choice. And ultimately, you know, I, I couldn't deny that I was not in a great place. And I couldn't reconcile the two. And I gave up the dogma Um of my youth. And I found another one. And again, I found a totally different kind of faith that I loved for many years. Ultimately couldn't make that work either. And I'm happier for it. And I don't, I don't have any regrets.
1: I like that. Yeah. Line. You just said, I don't have any regrets.
2: What is, how do you feel about this? like very clear separation though? Or, or what is it like re-exploring that past life though? I think human's question it still sticks in my mind, which is um, what's it been like having these conversations with your wife and kind of opening up that chapter again?
0: I think it is healing. And I don't particularly like that word, um, mm-hmm. but it is. And it, it's helped me think through and reassess things and show a little more grace to the the kid I was, and you know, forget college for a second. You know, the 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 two most formative years, junior and senior in high school. I look back, and you're like, you you were just a really young young kid. Like, eighteen is nothing. Like, what do you know? Like, show yourself some forgiveness and. And let it go. And I can't keep worrying about who I was and how I came across and who liked me and who didn't like me back then. Um, and I guess that's true of the earlier years too, you know, ninth grade, seventh grade, all difficult years in their own ways and rocky as I think they are for all preteens and teens. But you know, um I think part of this process with the reunion in your podcast is just letting some of that stuff go and and it's been reassessing people as well, which is fun, right? You know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: just thinking back and being like, man, I didn't know that person very well. Let me hear their story and be like, wow, that's actually impressive. And, you know, thinking higher of people, of course, when you learn a little more about them.
1: Looks like you've had that inner conversation already with your younger self. That was to yeah. be the next to question. Some
0: ex- to some extent, yeah. To some but extent,
1: then, yeah, it looks like you've already told that guy, that little Kevin 18s nothing.
0: It seems nothing and like, I think a lot of your your guests have said this. just sort of it will get better and mm-hmm. you'll figure it out. And these years are so, so damn short. Uh, it mm-hmm. feels so long, but they'll go by in a flash. And when it's over, it will make you who you are. And to some extent, um, you know, I, I struggle to understand who that person was back then and the relationship to the person I am now, but I do believe it ultimately made me into who I am. Um, and it shows up sometimes in funny ways and it it comes out in certain behaviors and ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. I think I have constantly told <clears throat> by coworkers and friends, you know, that, you know, you just think a little bit funny, like you think a little bit askew. And I think a lot of that is the way I was brought up. I was brought up in a very atypical way. And for everybody on your podcast, the reason I love it is because it was very typical for us. But ultimately, it's a very unusual way to be brought up. But it's shaped um, my life tremendously. There's no discounting that
2: yeah, can you give us an this, example maybe of how that sh- how it shows up in your life today? Like you know, I, I, I connect connect the pieces like of 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 the person that you were back then, what stayed.
0: Give you one one positive and one negative. On the mm-hmm. positive side, I think I inadvertently, I, I think probably all of us inadvertently learned a degree of resilience and grit that might have been hard to learn um, otherwise. And in many ways, I feel very privileged uh, the way I was raised and the things I got to experience. Uh, But it was relatively unstable. We had a lot of change. And through it, learned how to... (laughs) just hang on to some extent and navigate and bounce back uh, with things got thrown at you. Um, not something I really saw until others pointed it out. Um, I, on the downside, I think one of those ways that I have gotten through things is just by grinning and bearing it. So when you're sitting in traffic for two hours, y- you're gonna lose your mind. you just have to buckle down and grin and bear it and then your parents, yank you up and drag you off to a a crazy country called America. Uh, You're on a 24 hour flight. What do you do? You just buckle down and kind of just suffer through it. And it's a little bit of a positive. I think it's kind of a negative in the sense that you're not really engaging with your environment or engaging with the change or the challenges. You're just sort of like powering through. I'll give you a very stupid example, but it made me laugh at least. Uh, so I hate flying. Did it a lot as a kid. I hate it now. I find it so, I mean, travel changed obviously a lot from 2001. So things have just gotten a lot worse. I, I don't enjoy it. So my strategy was always get to the airport, get to your gate and just, you know, sit there till you got to get on the plane. You get on the plane, you suffer through it. You get to where you're going, Right. Um, to me, it was not something to be enjoyed. So then I meet my wife and the first time we traveled together, uh, we, we check in, we go through the TSA, they feel you up. You're like the socks, like, all right, let's just go to the gate and be done with this. And she's like, Hey, do you want to go to the bar? And we'll get a drink. And like, this is the stupidest thing, but it never occurred to me that you could go get a drink at a bar and sort of enjoy your time waiting at the airport. I was like, all right, actually, that sounds a lot better. Really small example how my mindset was, hey, just shut up, put your head down, don't be noticed, uh, suffer through this till it's over. And her mindset was, all right, we're here. I don't want to wait an hour and a half till the plane board's either. Why don't we go get a drink and enjoy ourselves a little bit? It's like, ah, that's a better way to approach life. I like that.
1: A concrete example.
2: Yeah. That reminds me of a, a story that someone at work um actually told in a training and it kind of rocked my world. And this was probably 10 years ago, Um, but it's it's just like a parable. It, it, it's about a guy that saves up his money, his whole life to go on a cruise. And he goes on the cruise and he brings all his own food and he doesn't, he eats in his room. So he doesn't have to because he's like, I don't have any money to pay for meals. And uh, he doesn't do any of the activities. um, And uh, because he doesn't think he can afford it. And overall he spends most of the cruise in his room Um, at the end of the cruise, he realizes it was all inclusive and Mm. he could have done all the things right uh, for, for $0. We've talked a lot about the environment that we grew up in and um, that when you step a toe out of line, it could result in something going nuclear. And I know for me that sh- sit down, shut up, stay in your lane, disassociate, and don't stick your your neck out. Um, that's something that I internalized. And it we've talked a lot with MKs about that. Um, and, you know, in that that moment, like go to the hotel bar, like that's something that that was something that that for me, like, oh my God, like I could do that. I could just go and yeah. relax and enjoy life. And, and I think, you know, again, the title of the show is life on I think that is part of what we're processing here is who do I want to be? Um, what, what are the things in my mind that are preventing me from just like living a full life? Because I've been taught or trained to question every thought in my mind or not stick myself out because I might get hammered back in like a nail.
0: Yeah. You brought up something important there, which is, it was, it's two things simultaneously. One, just suffer through this and that sort of felt how I felt about faith. Like, all right, just, just grin and bear it, man. Like you just got to get through this. Um, And by the way, I listened to some of your guests who actually were enjoying it. And I'm like, Man, why didn't I do that? But anyways, but the other thing <laughs> yeah. you mentioned was, yeah. you know, don't don't be noticed. you you need to be invisible. And that comes from, I think, being uh, very visible in the Philippines as a uh, ginger, a white ginger, uh, eventually got a little bit tall and stuck out. Um, and so the opposite was like, all right, well, don't do anything else to make yourself noticeable. You don't want to upset the church or the family or the school. Do whatever you can to be unremarkable. Um, and sort of took that to the US of like, man, don't stick out. Like, whatever you do, you are already a freak of nature. You grew up overseas, you, you went to church more than anybody should in their life. Uh, don't do anything else to make yourself noticeable. And that's hard. I mean, that's a period of years of sort of undoing that and being like, "Well, no. I mean, I don't have to hide." Like,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Kevin, do you like yourself?
0: I I do. I think I w- I, I don't know. I hesitate a little bit, but um, I do. I I feel re- mostly comfortable in my skin these days. Uh, it's a, you know. Mostly,
1: what about the eighteen That's... year old Kevin? would do you like him?
0: Uh, man, not really. Um, mm-hmm. no. I, I mean, I think it was just too much too much trying to fit in, not standing up for what you want, what you believe in, not. Doing the things you want to do, being who you want to be. Um, I think the the only thing that sort of jumps out at me is being a little bit uh, incoherent with that narrative, or or speaks against that narrative is, is apparently I had quite a reputation with the teachers, which I find hilarious, uh, who who apparently found me a little bit uh, unruly. And I actually got barred from NHS for having an authority problem. What? And I, oh, I, this is like my proudest moment at Faith Academy now. You know, like, <laughs> you know <laughs> damn straight I had an authority hey. problem. And it's funny because I don't think any, I don't think, I didn't see myself that way. And I don't think <laughs> any students, any of our classmates would have seen me that no. way. But something about uh, yeah. how I engage with teachers,
2: I just well compare that to your U.S. experience. So you did tenth grade in U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you, were you a problem child in the U.S.?
0: I had a little bit of a authority problem there as well. I remember oh. because I, I have just a major, major memory from tenth grade is you know constantly getting picked on and bullied, right. Um, And my way of dealing that was to make jokes and to just try to make people laugh. And of course, when they're laughing with you, I mean, that's dramatically better than them laughing at you. And so I remember making the whole class laugh during math class. And that's a no-no, right? You can't do that. So I got called out, pulled out, and the teacher took me inside and was like, you know, Stop. But in my head, I was like, but you don't understand the alternative. The alternative is literally getting the shit beat out of me. Yeah. I'd rather make these bullies laugh than you know, the alternative, but they couldn't relate to that. The other reason I got detention um, is I was debating Catholicism uh, during class, and the teacher didn't like that either, which I find hilarious too.. <laughs>
2: Kevin this has been awesome. You mentioned earlier that you uh you and your family sit around uh you know t- talking about fond memories. Um is there is there a, a specific fond memory that that you guys talk about a lot or is there something that comes up now when you're thinking about your missionary kid experience uh, a story that you think about fondly?
0: You want to end on a lighter note, Caleb.
2: No, because I'm going to drop a bomb <laughs> after this. I already know what I'm going to say after this and it's not going to oh, be no. good.
0: Um Oh, so a few ones we talk about. One, we had a pet monkey when I was really little.
2: Um, Everyone's got a pet monkey.
0: All sorts of fun stories with that one. Um, I remember uh, at the first EDSA revolution, the first coup, I was very little, three or four years old. We were there amidst all the tanks and the helicopters. And I think we bought street corn or something like that. And I dropped it. And my brother holds it against me to this day. Uh, um <laughs> i remember a lot of fond memories of baguio Is that how you say it uh baguio baguio. Yeah, baguio why did i butcher that um we went there a lot and so that was sort of like the holy land you know yeah
2: it was a resort city up in the mountains and it was cool you know it wasn't uh, 98 degrees every day and there was very little humidity and they had
0: strawberries I mean it's amazing yeah picking strawberries uh you know getting to wear sweaters and like mm-hmm. even getting down to low 30s and seeing your breath in the air it was all like very novel and exciting for us and then we typically spent um Christmas and New Year's Eve there and so New Year's Eve we would watch The fireworks just completely light up the sky and the smoke progressively roll in till midnight comes and the smoke would just be, you know, you could not see very far at all. Even though there were no fireworks going off, you know, right near us, but it was just so intense, uh, so loud, uh, violent, but, you know, it was fun as a kid.
1: Yeah. What's the bomb, Caleb?
2: It's not much of a bomb other than, um, you know, I, uh, I wanted to talk about this, this idea of, of felt experience. Right. And, uh, you mentioned that other MKs had very, very different experiences. And that is absolutely true. And that is why we try and get as many diverse perspectives on the show as possible. Um, however, (laughs) If you are thinking back to your missionary kid experience and you are experiencing physical symptoms, like a pit in your stomach, when you think of a certain person or a certain situation, you know, that that's probably an indicator that there are some things you need to process now as an adult. And that's something that, you know, I highly encourage therapy for. I highly encourage you to reach out to friends, to talk about it, um, Uh, you know, depending on the situation, it, it, (laughs) uh, you know, make sure you're doing processing that in a safe environment. Um, But a lot of us still have that stuff. And, and, and Kevin, um, uh, it's been awesome hearing you (laughs) process in real time, some of this stuff. And I know you don't like this word, but it was very healing for me to hear some of the things that you talked about as well. Um, You brought up some new issues
0: that I hadn't even thought about.
1: I'm uh, surprised to hear you
0: say that because I feel like maybe I've just been too much of a downer. Um, no.
1: no, no, Kevin, there is no downers. I mean, yeah. you know, we're just processing everything just as is. The one yeah. thing I truly appreciate about all our guests and about our show in general is its authenticity. We don't sugarcoat, yeah. we don't cover anything, but we're not afraid to go to places where we've generally kind of cowered away from in the past. Oh, we're past that. There is no area where we dare not go. If the guests want to go there, we're along mm-hmm. for the ride. So Kevin, you've made this podcast even more richer and you've allowed future guests to open themselves up more.
2: And I want to re-ask humans. question. Human, I want to re-ask your, your question, which was, do you like yourself? And um, I, I want to add, Kevin, when you think about the delta between or the the difference between the person that you were back then and who you've become now and the person that you're becoming, you know, uh, w- what does that feel like to you? Or what does that progress feel like to you? I'm
0: at a period of my life at the moment that is a little bit rocky again. And when you invited me on the show, it was not rocky. So um things change and you just can't stop that in life. And that's the corniest thing you can say, but I, outside of individual, you know, problems we're all dealing with on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis, I like where I am in life. Um, I would not be married to a wonderful woman that i am now if i hadn't changed in some key ways and very deliberately sought out to be a different person and try to do some work some of it quite painful to to become that person and that's not to say of course that you know i'm I've reached some sort of nirvana or, or anything like that. I've not experienced any sort of real enlightenment, but I mean, I'm, as I assume you guys are around this age too, right? You know, 40 years old, like I don't have time to, I don't have time in life. Like life just goes super fast. And, um, I never thought I'd hear myself say this, but you got to do something with it, right? Like, I can't Mm -hmm. say stay stuck with who I was at 17, 18. I can't stay stuck with who I was at 22 or 28. Um, Unbelievable how fast life goes. And so I don't always do this, but I do try to be cognizant of that and think, you know, if you're not where you want to be, what do you have to do to get there? And how do you just make peace with um, who you are and learn to accept parts of yourself that are maybe a little idiosyncratic or quirky or weird and not accept the parts of yourself that are actually really rough and are causing problems for you and for others? You know, accepting yourself does not mean you say, all right, well, I'm an asshole, and I'm always going to be an asshole, and everyone else just has to deal with it. Sometimes it means, all right, well, I'm not the best version of myself. How do I get better at the same time, not beat yourself up for not being a totally different person? There's parts of me that at 40 are a little bit calcified, and um, it's just part of my personality at this point and, and who I am. So That's life, Um, and I'm noticing we didn't even get to talk about the Joan Osborne story. So maybe another. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Tell us your. your, I mean, you know this story too. But why did you uh, pick? Why did you pick this song uh, to start off the show? All
0: right, so this is just a a joke for me. I don't even know if I like this song. Uh, When we were in uh, ninth grade, I want to say something like that. uh, We had a chapel or two, where they got us in that. um, It was the only place on campus that was freezing cold. And so we went into the basement area, chapel, space, I don't know what you call it. And they got on stage and they played Joan Osborne, one of us, and they played uh, U2's I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And then the, the preacher or the pastor, whoever, said, aha, look at this. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We have found what we're looking for. It's Jesus. Oh, yeah. Which is hilarious because Bono yeah. is like. Actually- Christian. And then they yeah, played exactly, one of us, like, mm-hmm. what if God was one of us? And then he had this sort of like gotcha line. Well, I'm here to tell you, God was one of us. He did have a yeah. name. His name was Jesus. <laughs> I was like, all right, now you've just introduced this music to me that I never heard of. I'm immediately going to go listen to this. Thank you.
1: That's a great song. Both are yeah, wonderful and- songs.
2: <laughs> it's been a pleasure. You know, that's our time. Hey, uh, i think i already did a call to action but the real call to action is it go to the airport a little earlier hit the <laughs> hotel bar get a beer live the life you want to live and enjoy the ride you know
1: totally enjoy the ride yeah. all right let's get this let's get this <laughs> on the count of three <laughs> one two three go vanguards
0: go, go vanguards guys. thank you guys